Welcome to Living the Life in Tech, a weekly podcast series with CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders that are sculpting the current tech landscape. Each episode, we aim to provide deep insights from our guests, covering off areas that include leadership, innovation, security, and technology that will assist you and your team in evolving your business. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, we would love you to provide us with a rating on iTunes or any other source you may be using, along with subscribing to the podcast so you don't miss a thing. We also encourage you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at ciotechasia.com. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Life in Tech. My name is Tyra McGurgan and I'm the CEO of CIO Tech Asia. And on today's show, we are joined by Mr. Peter Smith, who is the Chief Information Officer at uh, Mission Australia. So, Peter, thanks for joining us on the show today. My pleasure. Now, I know you're also learning to play the banjo in 2020, but um, let's hold off on that right now and let's get into that a little bit later in the show. It sounds like a uh, hilarious story. Oh, it is. <laughs> now, look, as a, as a national Christian charity, I know Mission Australia has been helping vulnerable people move sort of towards independence for 160 years. And uh, right now, this must be a, a pretty busy time for all the employees of the business um, with the current pandemic underway. How are all the staff dealing with the, the extra workload? And I suppose in some areas, um, you know, the workload that's been, been taken off them. Well, I think the, the, the common denominator in Mission Australia is the people are passionate about what they do. So, you know, they live to serve uh, their clients. They like supporting people in need. And so they'll do whatever they need to do to overcome the obstacles. So what we found, even though many of them aren't very comfortable with tech, we found them really uh, ambitious and really keen to overcome the challenges. And they've embraced tech way more than what they used to just to make sure they can su- support and serve their clients. Yeah. And I mean, um, you just provide our listeners just sort of a quick overview around, you know, what the charity is all about, you know, the number of employees and of course, what your overall responsibility is, um, is there within the business as well? Sure. So Mission Australia is a, it's a national Christian charity and we've been helping vulnerable people in Australia to move towards independence for more than 160 years. Uh, it provides services such as housing and support people. Homelessness, uh, we go and work with people who are homeless and try and help get them back into accommodation. We work with children and families. We work with people escaping domestic and family violence. We try with young people, trying to help them uh, overcome the extra challenges they might face, particularly around things like mental illness and and alcohol and drug addiction. Uh, We also help with just generic things around mental illness and disability and trying to strengthen those community connections. And it's all around getting people back into homes and back into lives that they're enjoying and they thrive in. We've got about just over 2,500 employees. Uh, I've got about 50 staff in my IT team, and we're responsible for looking after all the technology that um, supports the work that we do across Australia. And that, that ranges for everywhere from the metropolitan CBD areas out to the remote outback up to places like Mornington Island and the Gulf and anywhere in between. Now, Peter, I mean, as an executive um, who has had significant experience in the finance sector, um, coupled with almost 20 years in technology roles, including you know, professional services, digital consulting, project management, program management, business process re-engineering and offshore, I know one of your most passionate projects you've delivered during this period is the MA Connect, which was a key part of your major major digital transformation project with Mission Australia. So I wanted to kick things off today by talking a little bit more around this project and having you just outline 
I suppose the reasons why this was needed to be implemented within the business, but you know, really the, the changes that you've seen this uh, this take shape for not only the business itself, but for you know the employees as well, working uh, sort of day to day. Yeah, I think it's it's been a really challenging project, and it, it basically boils around we had a system in place before that was pretty well custom built that supported over almost 500 um, different types of service or different services for about 30 odd uh, funders or um, providers. And that's everything from drug and alcohol uh, rehabilitation to homelessness, to supporting children and families to domestic violence, the whole range and the gamut of our, of our services. And the challenge was that it, it had morphed or I call it mutated over the last 10 years. And there's been some some poor design decisions. Uh, there'd been a whole lot of complexity. So in many cases, each funder actually asked for different information. And so trying to get that information into, you know, from, from 500 services into one system is, is challenging at best. Mm. But if you do it during a, a, a long period of time, it tends to lead to a lack of design decisions and more of a responding to a need. And um, so we had to really step back and redesign that. Uh, plus, we were looking to move to the cloud. So we're 100% in the cloud, um, and we're looking to you know, really build out that digital platform so that we can create an ecosystem that supports our, our work. And with, the, with obviously, with the, the system itself, I know it's built on top of Microsoft Dynamics 365, um, and obviously, with the platform itself, it is designed to kind of support, you know, obviously all your clients wherever they need them, um, whether that be sort of face-to-face. But I, I suppose now during this pandemic, you're finding a, a lot of your staff are, are now having to deal with these guys more on a, on a virtual level as well. What are the changes in the effects sort of taking place with the, the team? Are they utilising this in a, a much sort of proactive uh, approach than you would have thought previously? Or It's, it's, it's uh, interesting because we've probably got about half our staff who are looking to get onto it, onto it, as we build out more of the um, more of the services, the ones who are using it are finding it incredibly time efficient. So it's much simpler to use and much more responsive than the old system. They're able to leverage that, coupled with telehealth and and you know normal normal electronic means to actually work with the clients uh, really well. But they can also do it those that are still going out mobile, and there there are some of those. They can still get out and use it out in the field as well. So we're finding it quite um, quite useful and, and a lot more relaxing for the staff because they're not trying to struggle to get things into it and they're not struggling with poor response times and, and poor design because this was really designed around them. So a really strong human-centered design focus on it. Mm. We consolidated, I think it was about 58 processes down into a couple. Yeah. So it's had a really strong you know, redesign element to it which has made it their life so much easier. And with your, your team, I mean, you mentioned before, you've got 50-odd staff that work within the actual tech team itself. How much input do you get from each of those individual members of staff for a project of this size? Oh, it depends. I mean, it, the interesting thing is some of our staff are obviously working on things like service desk and operation issues, and they don't have quite so much input, although we do actually get them involved in supporting it. We do partner with other partners heavily, but we're very strong on, on a partnership, not on a um, not just on a contract. And so the partners that we use work with our teams to really drive that process. And it's not just our tech teams. That project was actually driven out of the business and driven by the business in partnership with us. And we actually drove a much better result because we all owned it rather than just being a tech project. And that's one thing we're very strong on. We don't want tech projects. We want, you know, projects full stop. 
And I mean, obviously, that, that's one of the big things, right? In in, uh, in the tech world today, it's not just uh, you know. Obviously, you, you need to have the buy-in from the the C levels and, and the leadership team as well. Um, how important has it been to to obviously get the buy-in of the actual group itself? Oh, it's critical. And in this case, one of the things that we did do very well was we had full support from the executive down. Mm. We had full support from all the key business leaders within the the various departments and organization organizational areas and you know, they they drove they helped us drive this through and if we hadn't had that it would have failed absolutely and so you know some of the some of the changes around process and around you know overcoming concerns around change mm. they are so much easier when you have the you know the whole business behind it than they are when you when you don't when you don't and, and when we talk about change, I mean, you know, every business these days now is, is going through some kind of digital transformation within the business itself. How important do you feel that it is for the overall strategy and the direction of any organisation to be able to have that buy-in from, you know, not just the, uh, the overall team that's helping develop it, but, you know, the buy-in from each of the individual, you know, staff members and employees for their, their business? It's critical and, and certainly our change manager was very passionate and very strong on ensuring that we got input and, and responses from everyone. Yeah. And uh, we did a lot of surveying after training sessions. We did a lot of group meetings with people to get their feedback. Quite often it was a lot longer and a lot softer than what I might have originally envisaged, but the outcome was, was much better. And I think that was the, one of the critical things to, you know, apart from the executive support, was the fact that we had strong business buy-in and, you'll, and we find that going out of all our projects now, we're getting better at each time at building out that support and even seeking, seeking more consultation. Yeah, and I mean, look, obviously um, with this, as you look at sort of more upcoming projects, I'm, I'm assuming probably this, this project itself, um, instead of obviously rolling out sort of more major projects, it's more largely around sort of the, the same but continued modernisation of the actual legacy um, applications and building up an ecosystem that supports you know, obviously the work that you do. How important is it in this approach to actually spend more time understanding the user journeys and personas across all various key services um, so that you as a business can actually help refine and enhance the tooling and application services of the project itself? Yeah, it's critical. I think it's it's one of the one of the key things that's in our planning for this coming year is to get out and do more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a huge variety of different services yeah. and I think for too oft- too long we've been actually assuming they're all the same yeah. and we really want to get down and, and really understand what those differences are. We don't want to have you know, 50, 57 varieties of approach but we do want to have a few key ones so that we better support the people that are out doing the work mm. we better provide the solutions that support what they do and we actually make sure they understand that we're listening to what they what they say rather than just you know rolling another change out so that focuses more on the people that mission australia serve rather than the actual technology piece itself absolutely and, and you know we aren't perfect yet we're, we're building on that all the time but we want to continue to keep building on that as we as we move forward yeah, now I know um, within, you know, a lot of the different CIOs that I'm speaking with uh, regularly, obviously a lot of them um, start talking about when we talk about sort of the hottest topic right now in the industry, a lot of them sort of rattling off agile, DevOps, AI, you know, immersive experience and other sort of technologies as buzzwords. What do you believe obviously really is the, the kind of the, the key area right now, the, the, the hottest topic within the sector that, 
you know, businesses or organizations should be really looking at outside of these kind of these buzzwords that, uh, you know, everyone's been talking about the last couple of years. Yeah, for me, it's trust. And, and you know, I'm, I'm excited by a lot of the buzzwords and a lot of the technologies that are coming up and I'm keen to to explore them. But, mm. but the, one thing I've realized over the last few years is that you've, you've got to have trust and you've got to have your partners and the people in the, in the organization trusting you and your team. Yeah. And that trust is built around a whole range of things. And, and you know, you see that when people breach trust, mm. it's very hard to get it back. And so we've got a strong focus on trust and ethics going forward so that when we roll something out, we explain what, you know, what it's for and why, why we're doing it. Mm. We explain how we're protecting the information or how we're going to use the information. And we're open and transparent around, you know, what we're trying to achieve because it's, uh, it's terrible when you hear some of the stories that go on where we've breached people's trust and then we wonder why we can't get them to partner with us. Yeah, yeah. So when you're choosing a particular vendor itself, I mean, how much do you utilise their sort of their mindset and the skill set to be able to really direct you, you know, throughout the journey of the project itself? I mean, are, are they a valuable partner that you need to have that buy-in and, and trust on before you were to, you know, obviously secure these guys and, and start working with them or...? In most cases, they are, and certainly, you know, we've we've made a couple of mistakes. We've gone with vendors that we ended up not being able to work with well. Mm-hmm. But most of our key vendors, we've got a really strong partnership with, yeah. and you know, I don't view them as being um, vendors per se. They are partners, and yeah. most of them, the good ones, will certainly they'll provide free advice. They won't be afraid to push back and and tell us when they think we're being silly, mm-hmm. or we've done something that um, doesn't make sense. They will provide discounted work for us sometimes because we're, we're not for profit, so we can't always pay the amount of money we should. But at the same time, we don't expect you know, free work all the time. So we, we pay them the money that they're worth and we pay them you know, reasonably well, I think. And we trust them because they're, they're experts in their field. And we've got a couple of key ones that we really work with well, and they have been invaluable. And look, as a, a not-for-profit organisation as well, I mean, what are the, the major challenges you see coming up against your day-to-day sort of projects and, and, and daily work that you have versus when you're in the financial services industry or some of these other industries itself? There's a couple. I think, I mean, money's always a challenge and, yeah. and certainly in not-for-profits, it's it's a challenge because it's never there's never enough there. But I think um, the focus on making sure we make the right decisions so that we, you know, I can't afford to go best of breed in anything, but at the same time, I have to make sure that we're maintaining security because we have a lot of valuable and not valuable, but necessarily but sensitive information yeah. we need to, need to protect. Um, and our clients trust us. You know, there's a high degree of trust when they're being so vulnerable with us. So we need to make sure that we do everything we can to protect that. And so I've got to really find the right way to do that. And as you know, the security landscape is changing all the time. So that's a never-ending battle. And at the same time, we've got to make sure we, we're, we're operating in increasingly compliant focused regimes. And certainly the government's increasing compliance, potentially rightfully so. Yeah. And, and you know, the cost of that compliance is increasing as well. So it's getting more and more challenging all the time. But it's, it's a challenge that uh, is certainly invigorating. With your actual security team itself, do you have a, a head of security there that's kind of looking after things for yourself or are they sort of reporting into you? How does that work at the moment for the, uh, the business? Yeah, currently at the moment we have a security guy that reports into our operations manager and we're partnering heavily with a couple of key groups to try and make sure we, we get the best we can. You know, we will obviously have to go into some managed services for some of it because an operation of my size, I just can't afford to have the level of experience and, and the volume of people yeah. that you really need to run a good operation. 
Yeah, look, and look, with, um, I suppose a lot, a lot of the CIOs these days as well, obviously everyone's looking to constantly learn, seek to understand all that they can and uh, then think carefully about what narrative and story they actually need to be relaying to the executive team and the board um, to, you know, make sure these projects are, are getting across the line, but also, you know, talking more strategic levels as well for future growth and, and strategy within the business. How important is it for technology leaders to have a seat at the actual strategy level? From my perspective, it's critical. And and I think one of the things that gets lost when you don't is that you miss some of the opportunities that technology provides, both in a disruptive perspective, but also from an enabling perspective. And I think that's the key the key area that's often lost. And there are ways to make it up. So it's not always lost completely. And for a lot of companies that are traditionally face-to-face like we are, yeah. technology is not always at the front. But we're making you know, every effort to work very closely with our with our frontline staff and with the key people in the executive teams to ensure that we do partner and enable with them. But it is challenging when you're not at the front because there's quite often some good technologies that can certainly disrupt the sector. And I think those are becoming more and more obvious. And I think, you know, as, over time in the next few years, particularly on the back of COVID, but also on the back of some of the mega trends that you're seeing, mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a significant shift and change in the way technology you know is used even in the not-for-profit sector yeah look, absolutely and i think as well obviously during the next five years like technology leaders they i mean they do need to be better at narrating the right narrative i suppose but um you know also being uh, relevant providing sort of effective technological uh, solutions as well at the same time so beyond Looking at sort of beyond 2030 and, and for Mission Australia itself, obviously the key for you guys is, is really about sort of uh, providing enough accommodation out there for, you know, a, a lot of sort of homeless people and so forth as well. When it comes to the tech side of the business, where do you see that uh, sort of taking shape for Mission Australia in the next, say, five years? Well, certainly I think some of the key things that we're doing now around the human-centered design and, and working with the business to create and build out that ecosystem is critical. Certainly I see some of the, the shiny bits, um, you know, the shiny new technologies like cognitive-type technologies around AI and, and VR and, and some of those areas, really the immersive experience really coming to the fore in that. Mm-hmm. But I think we'll, you know, most of us will be taking small steps in those spaces and really trying to understand and make sure they help before we roll them out too widely because at the end of the day, we're not here to, to have shiny bits and pieces as, as uh, interesting as they are sometimes. No. We're actually here to make sure that we actually meet the need that the people have who, who are trying to help. Um, and that means, you know, making sure they're all in good houses, making sure we're helping to support and strengthen communities and making sure, you know, we've been their advocates when times are tough. Well, I mean, it's an amazing charity and I mean, I'm sure it brings a lot of hope and and, uh, and happiness for yourself to be working for a charity that's doing some great things for so many people out there as well. So it's, uh, you know, I know you've been there for a couple of years now, but, uh, you know, based on, you know, your, your previous experience in different industries as well, you know, are you, you continuously sort of always looking for that sort of that differentiator within the within the charity and seeing sort of what else you can do to kind of better assist everyone within the business? Oh, absolutely. I think my, my team and I are pretty passionate about making sure we bring our expertise into support and help them. Um, yeah. You know, most of us could could work somewhere else for quite a you know quite a bit more, bit more money. But the, the fact that we're doing it here for a purpose and the fact that we're supporting people, um, you know, we're coming to work for for a, for a reason, not yeah. just for shareholders' gain. Yeah. actually makes makes it a lot a lot easier to make some of those tough decisions, but a lot easier to, to get up in the morning and come to work. And, and, I, and I certainly wouldn't have it any other way at the moment. 
Yeah, great stuff. Now, I mentioned at the start of the uh, the program as well. I said we'll, we'll touch base on this banjo. So I know that you're uh, you're looking to uh, you learn to play the banjo in 2020. And I know you're a, a you know a, a guitarist. Uh, love the guitar, but um, just tell us about that story with the, the banjo. Why uh, why 2020 and uh, why the banjo out of all instruments? Well, it's funny. My my kids have been joking that I'm hard to buy for and. My daughter actually said that um, you know she'll buy me a banjo because she knows my wife hates banjos and would hate me learning it. And so next thing you know, on Christmas Christmas Day, uh, a certificate for a banjo turns up in my um, Christmas bag. And so now I've got no choice but to uh, learn the banjo. And it's um, interesting. It's it's difficult. I'm, it's a very different skill. So I'm embracing it and you know trying to trying to learn it. I was going to say, is it much different to, to playing the guitar or? Yeah, it is. It's the, the finger, the finger picking, and the style that you you use is very, very different. The the finger. I mean, there's some similarities, but it's quite different. Quite a different feel and quite a different sound, obviously. And uh, I, I grew up in Tamworth for a, minute, for a number of years, and so I understand the banjo and the country music elements of it. But um, this is a new challenge that I'm going to master. Well, hopefully next year when we start talking again, you can play us a bit of a song on the, uh, on the next episode. But uh, David, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Um, obviously, appreciate all your insights and uh, doing some fantastic stuff there at Mission Australia. So we we'll wish you and uh, the banjo playing all the best for, uh, for the remainder of the year and uh, look forward to chatting again at some point um, next year to, to sort of see where the, uh, where the journey's taking you. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much. 